that song means we are doing another episode here with your friend, the nonprofit sector connector, Tommy D, coming at you from my attic. And that song means it's philanthropy and focus time. And what do we focus on here? I have a mission. I am on a mission to do two things each week with you. It is to tell the story or at least help tell the story and amplify the message for the nonprofit leaders and their organizations that we feature on the show. I tell you this all the time, that nonprofits change our world every moment of every hour of every day of every month of every year. Nonprofits change and impact our world. They serve incredibly well to people who need the service, whether it's an agency working in the mental health space, whether it's an agency that's doing work with the intellectually and developmentally disabled, empowering young people. There's so much that the nonprofit sector is bringing to us. Today's organization, post-tour processing, is no different and makes an incredible impact for first responders, police officers, and other first responders. So we're going to get right into this conversation. There's a couple of things that I want to do before we even do dive into the conversation. I just want to remind you that the New York City Imagine Awards applications are out right now. So if you're connected to and or serve on a board of a nonprofit organization, if you run a nonprofit organization that touches or works with people in the five boroughs of New York City, or you're located in the five boroughs of New York City, all five boroughs, not, not just Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx and Manhattan, Staten Island as well. All five boroughs are part of New York City in the Imagine Awards. That's a little nod and a wink to my friends over in Staten Island. All right, so here's the thing. Let's dive into this conversation right away. Robin Canariato is here. Gene Cirillo is here. And I've been pronouncing Robin that name, or I've been practicing pronouncing that name for like a week because I did a video the other day. I think I told you this over the phone. I did a video the other day and I could not get the word out right. So I, this morning I wrote it out. I wrote it the way I think it's supposed to sound. So first of all, welcome to the show. Welcome to my attic. How are you both today? I'm fine. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jean. Robin? I'm fine, too, Tommy, and you absolutely pronounced my word, my, my name perfectly. Perfectly. Thank you. I've had <laughs> so a week. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a week since I could, I swear to you, I did this video, everybody, and I go, Kenna, Kenna, and I could not get the word out. So anyway, it's never at a loss for words. Sometimes just I have lost in the ability to pronounce the words. But sound I, it out. I know. Sound <laughs> it out, man. Phonics. It's like phonics, you know? I had yeah. to just break it down. Um, all right. So really, let's dive into this conversation. You know, Gene and I were talking before we got started here, and I know that you have both been practice partners for many years in the psychology space, but I think where it'd be okay if we could start, Robin, talk to me about the background, talk to me about NYPD, your experience there, and how that all culminates into what you and Gene do together, and specifically what goes on uh, with the organization post-tour processing. Let's talk about it. Thanks, Tommy. So I was a, a police officer in the NYPD, and I went through many roles as a police officer. You know, I was a beat cop. I was an undercover cop. I was a peer counselor in the NYPD. And in the, in the late 80s, um, I went to work in a unit that was predominantly a punitive unit. The purpose of the unit was to identify offices that had problems and to either begin termination or probation on them, you know, at whatever point in their career they were at because of the behavior that they exhibited. And 
I specifically wanted to work in that unit because I believe that anybody who displayed prob anybody who displayed behavior that was problematic probably had a problem that was unidentified. So, so if I could interrupt for a second, so the the department would say these individuals had problems, and the solution was to remove them from the job. And it right, it, some of them, yes, some it was of them. Called- Early, it was called early termination and identification, early warning. Okay. And so I got assigned to this unit and I went and I read all the folders on all the police officers that had been identified. And I went into the captain and I said to him, you know, you have 203 charts here. And out of them, there are 197 people that I believe have problems. And I'd like to bring them in and interview them. And it was myself and two other newcomers, uh, Chris Hetherington and Michael Perugia. Michael Perugia is still active. He's a sergeant in the NYPD, and he still works with early intervention, which is what we renamed the unit. What was it called before that? Early warning. Early. It was the early warning, and it was for identification and termination of officers that had problems. I mean, words have meaning, as we know, um, as I joked about trying to pronounce your name, but words have right. meaning, right? Early intervention, where where we talk a lot about intervention in many aspects of our life, but now it's like there's, there's a situation that that needs support more so than elimination, right? Yes. Yes. So actually we went on to interview all of the officers that we had identified as potentially having problems. And simultaneously we set up one of the office lines to be a helpline. And in three months we had almost 900 cops come forward for help. It was unbelievable. Like this we could above and beyond the two and change, two hundred and three, or you know, the yes, one ninety seven, right? right? So, wow. It, it, so obviously, you and this is the eighties, right? It was and the eighties, and the suicide rate was very high back then. So, um, NYPD was seeing a lot of officers commit suicide, and some were suicide homicides, and it was heartbreaking. So, we went on this campaign to lecture at all roll calls around the city. And we started to ask the cops to come forward and ask for help and, you know, to basically tell us how we could help and what their needs were. And we were really pioneers in the space that we were in. Um, We wound up taking firearms from cops that were depressed or suicidal. We wound up uh, holding them until they got help. It was really, it was somewhat of an informal process because nothing existed until we implemented it. Prior to this, though, just if I could interrupt for a second, prior to this, there was, what was the outlet or what was the support system for these So as it is now, there was a formal psychological services unit with psychologists. And at that time, I don't think there was social workers, but I think now they have social workers. Um, They were civilian employees predominantly. And there was also an alcohol counseling unit. So if a cop had an alcohol problem, they could walk in and say, I really need help. And they would find a place to send them and get them treatment. But if there was depression or suicidal ideations, there hadn't been a peer uh, program prior. So we implemented the first peer counseling program in the NYPD, myself and my two colleagues. Well, there's two big things I want to take away from this, because it sounds like there was a, a... And I, I'm trying to not be negative in any way, but it was it wouldn't have been a service really until somebody 
showed challenges around alcohol abuse, right? That, that, well, that, that, that was one piece that was, that was already in existence, the alcohol counseling unit. That was a separate unit they worked out of John Jay College. And they had some uniformed offices there that were offering help to any officer that had an alcohol a problem. I actually worked there for a short time. I was uh, brought in to lead that unit, and I wanted to return to early intervention. So it was a very temporary experience. Why is it so important that, you know, versus a civilian doing this support work or having somebody who's been on the job like yourself, undercover, done the work, you know, walk the beat? What, you know, I, I mean, I think it seems obvious, but I want to hear if I'm right. Like, why is that so important that it's somebody who's, who is supporting these folks who's been involved with the job? So I think it's like any other part of life. If you're a peer, if you go through the same experience, you have empathy that's unique. And if you really could understand someone else's experience, I think that's how AA is built, right? On the concept of, you know, it's pure support. The people that have been in uh, that particular experience support each other and they take each other forward in a very healthy way, right? So that was the idea that we implemented the peer counseling unit in the NYPD. We were police officers. We understood what it was like to have a bad tour. We understood what we were exposed to during our shifts. And, you know, eventually, if you have enough exposure to negative uh, situations that most people run away from, you know, when the police run toward them, at some point it takes its toll and stress comes out in different ways. So we saw officers that had uh, marriages failing, um, alcohol problems, uh, gambling problems, um, just overload of stress where they were breaking down crying and they didn't know what to do. And they were afraid to come forward and get help from a formal. Why? why, I I think, I, I would expect that, especially in the 80s and stuff like that, where, mm-hmm. I mean, even and not to make it the 80s is such a long time ago, but it is. It is. So <laughs> we're talking right. about, right? 30, 40 Absolutely. Years ago. So, and I, again, as we sit here in 2022, and we, we, even in the last three years of life, the focus on the mental health conversation is, I remember being cranky about how we're this ending the stigma of mental health. And we certainly have not ended the stigma by any means, but we're, we're chipping away at it. I really right. feel like we're getting somewhere. So I have to, I'm just going to guess that police officers, right. Who, who are, are, are strong and brave. And as you say, are responding to the things that civilians run away from. Um, it's even more so a, 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 is it a pride thing of coming forward or it's just like, you, you can't show weakness. Is that part of it too? Well, I, I think that's part of it. And, you know, people think of police officers analogous to um, veterans, war veterans or, or active duty servicemen. But the real difference with cops is that they have to disintegrate themselves every day and return they, home. They're not, in a, they're not in a combat zone. Right. right? right. They, go, they do the thing. They see these incredible. And I, when I shot the video you know, promoting this show, I said incredible because there's so many different meanings to that. They see this and then they go home and they got to go, they, they go to the little league game, right? Exactly. Or, or they mow their lawn. So it's not, and they're no, they're in the civilian life again. That's got to be a heck of a, a, a challenge, right? Well, so that's why so many of them are overprotective parents and, you know, they, they could see what other people can't see. You know, they see a car drive down the block and they're wondering if the car is there to commit a crime, right? Yeah, well, so, that's it. Oh, ever vigilant, right? Like, you know, absolutely. Who I'm thinking of? 
and again, maybe this is glamorized, but I think, you, you know, you, you both can, you know, in, in being involved with the law enforcement, uh, you know, can tell me, but I'm seeing Stabler right now. I'm seeing Stabler from an, um, uh, SVU. Yes. yes. Stabler. And like, he's got a daughter and he's having, you know, I, I, like I know being protective of my own family and I only know part of the, the horrors of this world. A couple of weeks ago on the show, we had on um, an organization called I Empathize. And my, my buddy, Sam Leibowitz, who's, uh, who's doing our executive producing duties right now. And I have, have talked about that show because it was about human trafficking and it was mm, about the horrors, right, of human trafficking. And it's probably an organization that that you should know as well. And we could talk about that. But like, thank you. I, yeah, I almost didn't want to do the show because I didn't want to know some stuff. And how, as an adult human being, I was like scared. I'm being totally real and vulnerable. I was afraid like to know this stuff because I do have a family. I do have children Mm -hmm. and I wanted so, but I felt so strongly and how important it was to do it because we have to tell these stories. And that's a lot about what this network is all about, but I'm seeing. It's wonderful. Yeah. Again, it's, and again, I decided I was going to do this stuff and then you got to kind of lean in and do the stuff. Sometimes you got to do the hard stuff, right? You know, and, and, and uh, put yourself out there. So with that, um, you know, I remember Stabler on that show, like, you know, um, where they saw hor- horrific things and and then he has to go home and, and be a dad and be a husband, yes. right? Yes. But one of my wishes is to meet the actor and actress that star in that show, you know, whether it's uh, Olivia Hark. Um, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mariska Hargitay, Mariska Olivia. Hargitay. Yeah. Exactly. Olivia Benson. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah I would yeah, love yeah. to meet, meet them. Or with that out. I mean, we're in New York, you know, we could probably figure that out. Shout out to the world. I always ask how we're going to connect things. And oh, that would be wonderful. I'd love to. And, uh, and I think, I don't know what Stable's name is, but he, right. but yeah, we'll have to work that we're, we're in, you know, we're right here. They're right there. We'll figure that out. So we're going to go to a quick break. So I want to, I want to hold that thought. What were you going to talk about? So I remember we talked about it when we come back. So I wanted to say that one of the things that we learned in working in early intervention was that every day we would be sent out to roll call. Cops would go out to roll call. They would come home. They'd put their civilian clothes back on and they'd go back to their ordinary lives. Right. right. But as still as a police officer, because you're always active. Right. You're still um, but they never had an opportunity to rewind that roll call. That roll call, that that day at work stayed with them, right. and so it they, became they permanent. Just, but they had to like go be another person, right? So I want to leave it right there, Gene. We're going to get you in this conversation. Wonderful, okay? Because that's exactly the thing that I understand what this does, right? Prior to this, to the solution that you're providing, they had to just take that trauma and that experience and just kind of put it in a little box, right? And it, it doesn't get dealt with. But I think there's a better answer, and I think that's what you're going to talk to me about when we come back. Isn't that right? Thank you, Tommy. Yes, Got thank it. you. Right, With Gene's well, help, thank yes, you. Gene, <laughs> yes. Robin is here. Uh, Gene is an attorney and uh, and a, a therapist as well, and we're going to hear from her as well. And her and Robin are in private practice together. The organization we're talking about today uh, is called Post Tour Processing. This is Philanthropy in Focus. Sam, take us to break. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc.
Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to cut through the static, man. Just <laughs> way through the static. A lot of static around these days. Push through it. Join me in the attic. Got to give a quick shout out to my friend, Mike, who I would have never known Robin Canariato unless Mike had said, you need to meet my friend. He's the nonprofit sector connector. And you need to tell the story of the impact your organization is making on this show. So shout out to Mike. Uh, appreciate you, brother my neighborhood friend who is looking out for both Robin and me and then Gene and Robin are on the show today. And that's how we did this. It says right here, just because your tour has ended doesn't mean it's over. Police officers can be exposed to more traumas in a single tour than most civilians experience in a lifetime, more traumas in a single tour than most civilians experience in a lifetime. Wow. Talk to me about that, Gene and Robin, please. Well, you know, what the police officer sees, you never know when you get called to a, a home, it, domestic violence, let's say it could be an argument. It could be the wife has been shot. I think Robin described something where a woman was so badly burned, they they called her likely, meaning likely to die. Um, and, you know, you have to remain calm. And for the tour itself, you have to be the stabilizing influence. You, If people are fighting, you have to break it up, you know, depending on your skills. If people are uh, very, very ill or, or um, very badly hurt in an accident, you have to call the ambulance and get them what they need transported to a hospital. You have to be there on the scene of a fire to make sure that it's not arson. Uh, so there's all these things happen. And I love what Robin described as after the tour is over, you put your civilian clothes on and go home. Post-tour processing deals with this with what they call reverse roll call. You go through 
what you what you experience during the day and you're there with your peers and you help one another so that this way it's processed. It's so that's the built word. up. That's the word, Gene. Process. process. So that's in the title of the organization where we have to process the experience because to your point, they've elevated to some hero. I'm in the zone. I got to be here. I got to get this done. You know, the activity that I need to bring forth has to put it. I have to put everything else aside. Right. So in the moment, there is no processing other, you know, not processing in a thoughtful, long drawn out way. Right. It's like high intensity adrenaline pumping. Right. It's not it's not. So so talk to me more about the processing. The only processing that you're doing in the moment is saying, okay, assess the situation and decide what needs to be done. Mm. But there's no emotional processing. You keep that inside. And if you don't deal with it at the end of your tour or anonymously on the internet, which this post-tour processing allows for, it's going to stay with you. And it's going to not only carry over into your next tool, that might be a completely different uh, situation, but it's going to come home with you to your family. Every time a car comes down the block, like you said before, you're going to think, is this person going to commit a crime? Every time your child goes to the school, you think, is this day going to be a school shooting? You know, am I going to get that emergency call? And it seems more probable because you're the one who's called, like Robin said, mo- what most people run away from, you have to run toward. So, so seems, after a while, it seems so yeah, common. Well, it seems more common. Again, when I read that, uh, first of all, I'm floored by it. So I'm going to say it again. Police officers can be exposed to more traumas in a single tour than a, a regular individual can see in their whole lifetime. So, of course, of course, just the the amount, the volume of that coming at them, you know, for how, what, I guess, three, four tours of a week, right? You know, depending on, uh, you know, how they work their schedules and whatnot. And that just being bombarded with that level of, of input. Um, so, Tommy, I remember you, being a rookie cop and yeah. being assigned to Midtown South Precinct, which is known to be the busiest precinct in the world. And your first day at work, you know, you're given a radio and you're identified as a sector. You know, you're told this is your sector number. And as soon as you go out to work, you say hello to the dispatcher. You say, you know, good morning. I even remember the dispatcher's name was Mary. She was lovely. And I said, you know, Mary, what's going on today? She said, well, I'm backed up 89 jobs in your sector so i said what are we how many how many how many police officers are in your sector just myself and one other so you have 80 you have a you have a list of 89 things to so she said well so she actually she was holding 89 jobs and she said you know i guess i'll give you the most serious uh do you want personal injury or do you want property or do you want a call in progress because they're all equally as significant right somebody has chest pains there's uh, an armed robbery in progress um somebody is laying on the floor unconscious so you we say well i'm closest to this street give me that (laughs) but they're all priority jobs so you are you automatically become anxious thinking about i have to get to help all these other calls it's it's really a very um you need a high threshold for uh tolerance of many things when you're a police officer yeah look i know about stress and you know the things that i stress out about are certainly not life and death for the most part you know so um I, I can't imagine when you're operating at that level and everything is is high priority, like you're saying, you know, I, so, wow. What year was that? 
when you, if you don't mind. Oh my gosh, that was um, in the mid eighties. <laughs> so it was a long, long time so ago. <laughs> was that, the city was. I ask really to say that the city was a much, much different place, right? It was so different. Yes, but, it was very, yeah. very different yeah. um, before everything got cleaned up, if you will, right? So it was. It was a great experience being a police officer in the city of New York. It was. Um, challenging. It was exciting. Uh, the experiences were unique. I don't think you could have them in any other occupation or vocation. And it's a very rewarding job in so many ways. Um, you know, you meet kids who see you as their role model and you fast forward so many years into the future and they come and they're standing before you in a uniform yeah. and they tell you, you know, I became a cop because of you, you wow. know, or so it's really a nice job where you could change lives in some ways. So thank you for that. Yeah. So talk to me about some of, um, if you can, the programs that you're providing for these law enforcement officers. And then, again, even if we could kind of bring that into COVID in the last couple of years, again, as we sit here, I mean, we are just past the two year anniversary of of the what was the lockdowns and the pandemic. I mean, I remember um, really it was like today's the you know, this is a. Uh, as we're recording, it's the 22nd of uh, 2022. And when we shut down the world, you know, it was, mm-hmm. I remember the 11th was a Wednesday and the 13th of March um, <laughs> was, uh, you know, was the way when the world shut down. So th- just the stress level for the first responders and others as well. Talk to me about that if you could. So uh, we originally brought post-tour processing to the world for law enforcement. We took it across the country. We demoed it. We beta tested it. And all of the law enforcement agencies that we showed it to, I think there were 82 in total, applaud it and they want it brought into their departments and agencies. So what is it? Let's go back a second because I, what, let's talk, what exactly is that deliverable? That all these Okay. So we have a program where we train law enforcement officers to be peers They go through formal training and they run groups that help other offices process out what they're exposed to during shifts. So that was the original program. And we don't know where the offices are from. We've had offices from all over the country. So there's anonymity Mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, confidentiality. It's an anonymous forum. So um, nobody knows who anybody is and where they're from. Um, so it's it's the only program of its kind where it's truly anonymous. So anything else like it? Yeah. So the organization provides a training. Now is that with with psychologists, you and and Gene? No, no. So there's different parts. So yeah. we have training that peers go through. Okay. So police officers, active and retired, get trained to facilitate the groups and process the group forward and give other offices an opportunity to talk about what experiences they're bringing forward. So can you talk to me, we're going to go to break in a second here, but in a few minutes, like, um, but let's talk to me about what stories can you share? I know obviously it's, it's anonymous, but can you talk about some of like the life-saving conversations that have gone on briefly? We we had an officer come in who had a very, very difficult day, and all of the people in the group were very supportive of this particular officer. The officer shared that they had a child that they were trying to get to the hospital, and the child didn't make it. And all the officer could think about was 
the guilt, the responsibility. What if this were their child? What went wrong? How could this child not have been brought to the hospital and survived, you know? So they had a very, very difficult time and they were very, very depressed. Um, We later heard from this officer a couple of months later and they said, you literally saved my life. They saved their own life because what we do in post-tour processing is whenever they need more than the peer who's facilitating the group and offering support in accordance with the other um, group members, they're brought to a mental health professional like Jean. And that mental health professional provides them with um, an assessment and a referral to ongoing therapy. So they meet with their cohort, right? They meet with the people. And if it's, if it elevates to a certain level where they need further assistance, they can, they'll then get connected with a mental health professional. Yes, privately in a chat box, they're told how to contact the mental health professional. So Uh, they're the only one that knows that they're being referred. So when you say anonymous, is everyone off screen or is, or it's once they get in their group there, you know, they know who each other is. No, only the peers visible. They are truly anonymous. We, we had somebody come in once with a voice modulator, so even their voice was changed. But as I said, they're from all over the nation, so we wouldn't know who's who. You wouldn't. Wow. Okay. All right. This is – I can't even imagine the stories that go on and, and what happens and, and how you just talked about literally – you know, tragically, we do see police officers take their own life. and um, Unfortunately. Unfortunately, it's tragic. I mean, it, it's tragic in general when someone does that. Uh, but it, it goes to that mental health piece that I think we need to engage and we need to support. The second ever show I did here, Philanthropy and Focus, and I mentioned this a lot, was my friend, Dr. Larry Grubler, who Robin uh, and Gene might be a good fit as well. He runs an agency called Transitional Services for New York, TSI and I. Yeah, they serve 4,000 individuals with um, with mental health issues in the boroughs of New York City uh, each year. But I can I can make that connection. But Larry said to me, Dr. Rubler, he said, um, Tommy, we all need support at times. And I always go back to that. And I say, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be compassionate, look out for each other. And your organization certainly does that. Gene, did you have something you want to jump in on before we go to a quick break? Uh, I, I can hold it till after right. the break. All yeah. right, we'll hold it. We'll come right back to you. Zerillo, attorney and therapist is here. And I will do it with my hand. Robin Canariato <laughs> is here. And Tommy D is here. For to be in focus, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else included, the animals and everyone. We'll be right back. We're going to a quick break. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. Howdy. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Every week on Philanthropy and Focus, we do a couple things. We bring on a leader of a nonprofit organization because nonprofits change our world and law enforcement changes our world and first responders change our world and they often need support as well. And an organization called Post-Tour Processing is doing just that. Gene Cirillo, Robin Canariato are here. Gene, you were going to make a point right before the break, so jump in. Let's talk. Yes, I was going to say that the legal aspects of the anonymity are very important because a lot of times in mental health counseling, if somebody goes to the EAP or to a police uh, counselor, they have an obligation to the department. That That's their first uh obligation, the department and the general public. And if somebody talks about being suicidal or having rage that they have trouble controlling or anxiety, sometimes the counselor there would feel a duty to report it or to force them to go ahead for further counseling, which which is counterproductive. Mm. So with the anonymity and with the confidentiality that people who work with us, even in our referral counseling program, we're not going to give out this information to anybody. You know, they're treated like any other patient. Confidentiality comes first. In the group, you're not in a situation with the anonymity where anybody would even have access to where you're from and your name. And and like Robin said, they could even use a voice modulator. So, so they're protected. So they're protected. They're protected. Again, they're again, shielded. Yes. Shielded. Shielded. Perfect word, right? So they're shielded. And another layer of protection because the alternative would be discouraging to come forward and get involved and, and have these types of conversations, right? Yes. And the police are very quick to bring their kids in when they had learning disabilities. You know, I worked, I was training as a graduate student in the 80s and I think we had a little group of five kids, three of them were the children of police officers. So they're very willing to say, my child has a behavior problem or a learning disability. I'm going to take them in for counseling. But to actually say, I, as a police officer, am having trouble controlling my temper at home or adjusting at work. I'm, I'm anxious. I, I, you know, they, they have nowhere where they could really feel free disclosing it until recently when Robin started this program, when more programs like these that were sure to maintain the anonymity and confidentiality were put in place. So that it, was the beginning. So it's not even it, it's not even just in my like in my own misconception of the pride or the ego of the whole thing. It's also they, this is their job security to the earlier point you're making there. And 
if I don't have a program like this and I do go to the EAP employee employee assistance program through my job or whatever it is, that's out there now, right? Through this program, it isn't. So so it's it's a game changer. And there are people that go there to be peer resorts. So even if somebody, let's say you if they could tell by your voice, if you weren't using a voice modulator, which you can do, women could be men or vice versa. With, with something like that, the idea is even if they knew who it was, a lot of times you're not there because of your problem in particular. You might have come for your problem, but then you stick around as a resource person. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we learned during the pandemic that when we open groups up to physicians, nurses, EMTs, firemen, um, you know, paramedics, we learned that they – needed the help the same way officers did, law enforcement officers. So all first responders benefit from this program. Um, You know, being a first responder, you never know what you're going to encounter during your shift. And having the support of your peers allows you to draw from their experiences and how they survived and how they went forward. So what about COVID? What sort of changed as far as... um, was there more need for this? I mean, not that I think there, again, when, when I talk about that, your mission and how the volume of exposure that, that law enforcement officers are faced with, how, how did that change? I mean, I, I'll, I'll just put this out there. I have a lot of friends who are um, New York City firemen. And I remember early. My dad was a New York City fire captain. Right. So, there you yeah, go. so yeah. Thank you for his service for sure. So, so I remember in talking early COVID, you know, early March, April of, of that, of uh, COVID. I remember them the, 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 what we were hearing was that if a young middle-aged person had a heart attack, the FDNY could work on him for a little while and then had to move on. And they would call you know, the deceased on the spot where they would have put in a lot more time and effort, but they could not just because of the volume, again, volume mm-hmm. of what was going on and EMTs, uh, you know, with FDNY, the whole thing. So, I mean, that even sounds like more tragic that they have to, that they, aside from what we all saw here in New York City with what COVID was like, and um it had to just bring up even more challenge for these folks. Is that right? Yes, it was significantly more challenging. I, I had physicians come in and talk about how um, they, you know, bodies were put on trucks. And I mean, we heard this on the news, but to hear it from the people who actually saw it and dealt with it daily, yeah. it was was really devastating to them. So yeah, I remember, and again, we saw that, you know, the freezer trucks outside of the hospitals here in New York and, and things just tragic. Uh, and again, watching it on the news is one thing. Living it is is completely different. So were you as, talk to me a little bit about, it, you know, either during COVID or as a result of and going forward that the organization would serve others other than just the law enforcement people. I remember the doctors and nurses, what they were going through. How does this apply I think it, it seems like it, it's, it's the same sort of conversations that can be going on or similar conversations amongst peers. 
I remember a young, a new uh, physician sharing that she was afraid to talk to anybody about what she experienced. Um, and she shared with the doctor facilitating the group because like in kinds, we have, we had physicians run physician groups and nurses run nursing groups and across the board, it was that way. Uh, but this young doctor said that when she graduated, she could have never imagined seeing life and death so many times in the same shift as she did her first day working as a physician with COVID. They actually graduated them early to allow the med students to go and help the graduates, the doctors, the new doctors to go and help with the COVID pandemic. So it was like a physician who was working on a mass unit, you know, uh, in a military zone where death was so um, constant. It was really devastating to them. You said on the first day that you got a call about somebody that that had fallen between subway cars and they they didn't want you there because they felt that you wouldn't be able to handle it at that point, knowing you were a new police officer. And this is a daily occurrence. Right. Right. So it's similar. Yes. That was on your first tour? On my first tour. So um, very often people fall between the cars in New York City. And um, when you see that the first time as a cop, it's really quite an experience, you know, because you want to help the person, but there isn't really anything you could do. I know. I've heard that. That's that's tragic. Um, What about this program and how it goes national back to a segment earlier, you're talking about 80 some odd departments and organizations wanted to be involved with this. Uh, Does the organization even have the bandwidth? And this will lead into what I like to say is what do you need? And I was on on your website (laughs) and I know what most of my organizations you on your website, it says pay it forward is the link where you can make a donation and and organization. But how big can this get? And what do you, so what do you- I love that question because that's really our dream is uh, designing this organization. So um, we self-sustain to date. You know, this has been a five-year uh, journey so far, almost five years. And uh, myself and the guys that developed this with me, some are active, some are retired. They're all professionals. They're all sweethearts and they care more than anybody else I could think of besides people like Jean who align with us and help us, you know, the doctors and the therapists that are there helping us help this population. Um, it's the technology, the cost of technology is expensive. Um, we have one paid employee who, um, he's actually an independent contractor who, you know, helps us sustain the technology. And then we have a, um, a computer architect who constantly helps us develop and stay current and um, scale what it is that we're doing. So we cannot sustain any more than we are. And we could barely do what we're doing, to be honest with you. I don't know how we're doing it. That's the truth. Um, So at this point in the organization's development, we are beginning to fundraise so that we can take this across the nation and across populations because this program is designed for anybody in a high-risk occupation. So as we uh, grow, we hope to grow and service other professions too. So if you had to put your finger on 
types of companies or businesses that would really best align with your mission? Have you, and we don't have to do it now and it could be something you and I take away on a, on a subsequent conversation, Robin, but are there certain organizations uh, or, or even, even differently uh, municipalities that the, that have this, you know, have capacity and access to monies that could support the programs you're doing because obviously you're making a real impact. So um, we're not business people, and that's our shortcoming, but we have a business person who reached out to help us with business development, Tom Sweeney. Um, Another person, Walter Sanchez, he is uh, a journalist. I know Walter. I saw Walter last week at the Queen's Chamber, um, St. Patrick's. I know Walter. I know his son, John, as well. Sure. Um, I know his son, Thomas, also just became a doctor. He, He matched last week. He'll be working at Queen's Presbyterian Hospital. I'm very proud of him. I will see Walter this Thursday. Um, So people like that help us identify what we need to do and who we need to be aligned with. Um, To answer your question, really, um, the best way I could depict for you who would benefit from us and who realizes it. Prior to the pandemic, we had six police departments reach out to us to license our program. Mm. Um, And you know, this is, I can't believe this, but the Capitol Police, the police in Minnesota, the police in Chicago, and other places where there were needs, um, imminent needs, we subsequently saw, you know, where there were situations that took place that were life-changing for uh, many people. Um they recognize that this program would be beneficial. We have not gone back to them yet to say, okay, would you like to license this? Um, but we, that's one of our goals in the future to license this program. So license the program. Okay. So I think uh, while not infinite, there's certainly a way, way big market to, that you can capitalize we- on. We're patented. We got a patent last year. Um, We're very proud of that. Um, So um, it was quite an experience to write a patent paper and to draw the diagrams and to uh, try to depict what this process was. Um, But when the government received our application, they gave us a patent for it. So there is a need. Congratulations. That's Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, of course. That's incredible. I think we need to get you. We're going to go to break now, but I think we need to get you connected to the Queen's Chamber of Commerce, which, Robin, you and I might have talked about. But uh, Tom Gretsch is a friend of ours. He's the CEO. The the vocalist who you hear singing my theme song is is my buddy, Brendan Levy, who's over there at the Queen's Chamber as well. Runs oh, how nice. Yeah, he runs business development. So we got to get you connected to the chambers. I think there's a lot of opportunity and there's a nonprofit committee that I'm involved with, which is part of the chamber. So we'll talk oh, about wonderful. that. When we come back for the final segment of the show, what I want to do is I want to talk about, you know, what you need. Who you like even deeper? Who do you think we can connect you with if you have somebody on your list? And then what's the future of this organization? And, and anything you want to share, Robin or Gene, we'll uh, we'll do the lightning round when we come back. All right. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back for it. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on TalkRadio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on TalkRadio.nyc. 
Health Proven World, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Every Friday morning, I bring you another leader of a nonprofit organization. I want to read you this. The website is ttmpt.com. And here's the mission of this organization one more time. I read some of it to you before, but just because your tour has ended doesn't mean it's over. Police officers can be exposed to more traumas in a single tour than most civilians experience in a lifetime. Left unattended, the tension and stress that result from being bombarded by these traumas can have devastating effects. This can lead to dif- lead to difficulties with personal relationships, alcoholism, suicidal thoughts, and unintentional overreactions on the job. Our program, their program of this organization, our program offering anonymity, confidentiality, and security is a comprehensive plan for early identification and remediation of critical stress in law enforcement personnel, specifically designed to eliminate and reduce future instances of adversarial contacts and restore positive relations among law enforcement officers and the communities that they served. I don't know any greater mission than what you all are doing. These are the folks who protect and serve our communities and we need to support and protect and serve those individuals as well. So let's do what we call, or I like to call the lightning round. Let's make sure we get everything you wanted to say in before we move on. So Gene, I haven't heard from you in a little bit. So Gene, what yeah. else is on your mind, please? I wanted to say something about how what happens with trauma, it's not only mental and emotional, it's also physical. It gets stuck in the brain. When you go through a traumatic experience, which the police go through, unfortunately, potentially every day, what happens is you form certain connections in your brain. The neurotransmitters get stuck in a certain loop so that if you see something that reminds you of that, like a loud noise, you're likely to overreact. In the past, you just had to learn to live with it. There wasn't a real treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Now there are several treatments along with medication, which doesn't have to be the kind that would impair you from working, but uh, just that would uh, help rebalance the neurotransmitters from what you've gone through. There's plenty of therapy, and that's where it can go from the peer group to a referral for somebody who needs more to, to process this trauma. 
there's only so much we can handle, right? Like this human being, there's only so much like that we can take in. And I, as I said earlier, and, and don't make a joke about it, I I battle with stress and sometimes mental health issues personally, right? So like, and I don't get exposed to the things that these, these first responders are exposed to. So many of us are dealing with stress and put COVID in the mix and, and now an international war and all these things that are going on in, in, in this time in history. But when you have that, again, I'll use the word, I've used it several times, the volume that's coming at these these individuals, the fact that, you, and you're using words like neurotransmitter, I got to, I love this guy, Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, and I love where he talks about creating new pathways and stuff like that. Gene. Exactly. So, so Exactly. Uh, Those pathways, they evolve, we, we evolve from animals where they create that kind of fight or flight or freeze pathway and it's it's productive for living in that environment and it might be productive for living on the streets as a police officer but it's not so productive for reintegrating into society or for bringing home to your family the therapies that are available today can help you deal with that that's awesome and and the fact that you just used and i wrote down but you just said ptsd you said post-traumatic stress disorder you know you're referring to on-the-job stuff that changes the the situation and changes the the reality correct me if i'm wrong for these individuals yeah it started ptsd as a concept started with dealing with vietnam veterans who could not reintegrate into society years later Mm -hmm. they used to call it shell shock after the world wars so it's it's a a different term but it's the same but it's the same thing right Yeah. yeah Robin. So, so sometimes we see a, a story in the news about an officer who makes a mistake, you know, a mistake. How could you possibly choose the wrong piece of equipment? How could you go down the street the wrong way? Um, how could you have made such a mistake? But uh, there's no opportunity to really unload themselves with everything previous that they've experienced. So when you're on overload, you know, if there's PTSD as part of the overload, anything is possible in terms of how they would react to a situation. And 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 look, you're asking for split second decisions to split be second. with, right? You're talking life and death decisions in it in an instant. And then now that that's tough straight up. Then you head on maybe years or decades of this trauma, you know, that's been constant exposure, daily exposure. Oh my God. (sighs) There has to be a program available, which we believe we've developed to allow offices to support each other and share their experiences from what they're exposed to and allow them to unburden themselves and really um, dispense some of it from their mind. You know, if you lived with your garbage and never threw it out, yeah. what would it be like to live in that house, right? Yeah, pretty stinky, yeah. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't survive it eventually, right? There wouldn't no, be room. But that's what it is. And, and again, you know, just to kind of throw it out there, I know a bit about addiction. And, you know, when we're in pain, sometimes we will lead, we will go to things that make us numb and make the pain go away. So a lot of this stuff, at least in my experience in life, gets wound up. The abuse of, of drugs and or alcohol, you know, sometimes is, is used. And I'm not saying by, by police officers, I'm saying general public, we use different things to sort of get through. And that's that just as we know from being a little kid and watching those after school movies, the problems just get worse. 
by covering them up with, with the drink and with drugs, right? We Absolutely. know that. And police officers turn to alcohol. It's no secret. You know, I, I often see programs for veterans and they're well-deserved and they're needed and they're necessary and there will never be enough programs for anybody who's provided service to the country and has done a job that most people couldn't imagine doing. But a police officer does that every day. They're just, they're just there amongst us and we don't realize really that they went to war during the day. Well, they lost Right. So, I mean, they, you know, some of the job is helping, but during their shift, they experience things that nobody really could understand, except they understand except each them. other. Yeah. So I feel like we have an obligation to support them and to take care of them and to, you know, protect and serve them in some way. We have Sheriff Timothy Whitcomb with us and he says, um, you know, protect and serve those who protect and serve and protect and serve. Those who protect and serve. And I love, I love when he says it every time he says. Who's that, Timothy Whitcomb? Timothy, Timothy Whitcomb. Whitcomb. Yeah, so good to meet you. Oh, I hope to meet you soon. I will because we're going to do some stuff together. We actually are going to have to leave it there because we are out of time, which I promised you we'd run out of time because that's how it works. We run out of time on the show, and then when you come back, we do another show, or I'll come out, we'll do an event together, whatever it might be. Gene Cirillo. Thank you for being here. Attorney, psychotherapist, and Robin's partner in practice. Um, uh, and then since 2000, so that's a long time, right? So long you guys, time. It's a long time. Robin Canariato, <laughs> who I joked about your last name. I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. Thanks to my buddy, Mike. I don't want to just put your Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you to Sam Leibowitz for making this happen and staying in my corner long enough for me to finally get this show going back last year, January of 21. Everybody have a great day to find me. You go to Tommy on Instagram and TikTok. Tommy D at philanthropy and focus. P H O C U S.com is the email address. Everybody have a great day. Tommy. Thank you. Have a wonderful thank day. You. Thank you for this thank opportunity. You. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? 
Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 